Hello and welcome to another episode of Northwest Defy podcast, uh, the podcast about business and tech focusing around Manchester and the Northwest. I'm John Cleary, Director of Software Development at 360 Insights, and my co-host is Zach Giorgio, founder of Chroma Recruitment. Say hello, Zach. Hi, John. Who have we got in today? So it's a really exciting one today for us because we've got Ben Scully, Chief Information Officer, and Wilcox, Head of Digital Products for a company called Distrelec. So welcome, guys. Hello. Um, so it's, it's really exciting. We know you guys have been in Manchester for several years, and we know there's been some changes that have happened over those years. You're a very big business. So um, just to sort of start off, Ben, I'll come to you first of all. What's your role across at Distrelect? And how did you sort of get there and, and how did that happen? Sure. I mean, I've been with the Distrelect group for just over five years. Joined them and was head of e-commerce when they were based uh, primarily in the head office was in Switzerland. And over the last few years, I've been part of building um, the team in, in Manchester. We, we chose Manchester for our head office about four years ago and did a lot of um, uh, recruitment and building the sort of development teams and the product teams in Manchester. We were recently acquired by a company called Aurelius, uh, the Aurelius Group in Germany, and they sold, the, the parent company Datvila sold the Strelet Group about 18 months ago, and that's when I took on responsibility for all of IT. So I'm, I'm responsible for, for IT for the group, um, including development, which we predominantly do in-house um, with in-house development teams. And at the moment, we, we, the, the great news is, is with, with our new ownership, we finally convinced them to, to, to make the investments that Will and I have been pushing for for the last few years. And we're on a, a path to dramatically increase the scale and the size of our, of our dev teams and products in UX. Um, and we're primarily trying to do that in, in Manchester. That's, that's great. That sounds really interesting and a, a brilliant success story from Manchester. Can I come to you then, um, Will? Tell us, can we take it back a bit and tell us a bit about what the business is and what kind of what it does? So Distrelec, um, as the name kind of suggests, uh, distributes electronics, distributes electronic components. Uh, we operate in 20 countries across Europe in 17 different languages, which is a challenge when you're uh, trying to develop beautiful UI and get text to fit on buttons. And uh, yeah, we, we offer a, a, a variety of electric com electronic components, not really finished products. Um, our customers tend to be people that are either building really cool things, robots, um, sort of sensors, they're building them in very small numbers for a very small market but often very complicated very expensive very high-tech pieces of equipment and then the other end of our business really is is people who are just maintaining production lines um, so lots of big companies big car companies that have obviously got a lot of automation on their production lines and you know the big challenge for them is if something breaks they need that spare part they need that replacement part as soon as humanly possible so you know the, the big challenge for us as a business is making sure we have the right products in stock, obviously, but then getting that to the customer as soon as we, we possibly can. Next day delivery, we're even starting to look at same day delivery in some, some countries. So when you say small number, that can mean different things to different people, but I, I, what are we talking about manufacturing of tens or hundreds? Is this like medicine? Is that kind of one, one of the sectors that you would, you know, the devices like that or... Yeah, so we, we, we sell to a large number of verticals. Um, medical is, is one of them, sort of very high-tech sensors, 
um, during the COVID pandemic, you know, we put a section on the website specifically um, all the components that people would need uh, to build ventilators. There were obviously a lot of companies around the world rushing to meet that challenge. But yeah, the, these are companies that build machines that potentially, you know, my, my favorite example is a company that builds uh, robots that go down pipelines and they check from inside the pipe that the pipeline is is not cracked, it's not leaking, and you know it has all sorts of sensors, cameras, um, sort of GPS, so they know where it is in the pipe, and it even can be brought back out of the pipe and have various tools attached to it that it can do repairs. And they will probably only make eight or nine of these a year, but you know they come with a custom vehicle to carry them and the control center to actually use them. And they cost millions of pounds. They're used by sort of um, petrol companies that are piping. Uh, fluids around gas companies, those kinds of things. So they're building really interesting and really exciting products. But yeah, very small, very niche markets. Quick question for me, really, around sort of um, the fact that you're you're an online business and the pandemic has really sort of changed how people are buying habits you know has it massively benefited you as a business i mean don't get me wrong the, the pandemic hasn't benefited anybody but as, as as your sort of sales gone through the roof etc etc that's a question to will and then a question to to yourself ben is truly international business huge business why manchester so i think over to you first will I think that we, I mean, we've certainly seen sales um, online through the web shop increase a little bit during the pandemic. I think it's certainly changed people's uh, purchasing behavior. It's kind of accelerated that move from offline channels to online channels. It, it hasn't massively changed uh, customers' purchasing patterns for us. A lot of our customers still rely on a um, a very knowledgeable sales team that can actually help guide them towards buying the right product. So I think some organizations have seen a massive shift towards online from offline. We've not seen that. We've seen it um, a much much smaller change in channel shift. But it's definitely there in terms of our sales teams obviously can't go out and visit customers and give that advice. They've had to do it through other channels. So it has affected our sort of broader digital delivery of services and advice uh, and guidance um, but it, it hasn't really changed yet that e-commerce sort of channel split. And that, that's an area we're looking at. And part of the reason we're ramping up the, the team now is to address that, improve our products and our services online so that we can get more of our customers ordering online and, and still give them the same service they get offline, um, that sort of quality service, the advice they get, but delivered through an online channel. Cool. And, and Ben, again, with the Manchester thing. What- Why Manchester? So when we were um, owned by Datvila, we just we decided in 2017, we effectively, Distrolect's a, a company that's grown by acquisition. So it was originally a Swiss distributor, and we acquired a company called Alpha in Scandinavia, a company called uh, Zurich in Germany. Um, and and we, we effectively had three head offices. We had, uh, we had the head office in Switzerland, one in um, Bremen for, for Germany, one in, in Stockholm. And we had the, the, the sort of central teams, product management, supplier management, IT, uh, marketing spread around those, those three hubs. And we wanted to bring everybody together into, into one central location. So we, we undertook a project with, with some consultants to look at what was the best location in Europe. Um, we had a long list of about 20 cities 
Um, the shortlist came down between Berlin and, and Manchester in the end, and it was predominantly driven by availability of talent and availability of people, also availability of an office so that we could quickly, you know, move and and um, and get a head office set up quickly. Um, Manchester won out really on on the availability of digital talent and also the availability of of people with the right expertise around the products that we sell. So those were the two main drivers for for why we we chose Manchester in the end and why it won out over Berlin in the shortlist, but also on over the long list of of the other twenty cities we looked at. Well, that's great, isn't it? I mean, it's fantastic that Manchester's getting that sort of level. You know, you've gone from 20 international, huge business yeah. uh, for Manchester to win out. That, that's fantastic yeah. news for the city. So so now where we're at, you've obviously mentioned about uh, the, the new takeover and you've now got the opportunity to do what you want to do. Um, so tell us about it. Tell us about what the plans are, what you're looking to achieve, you know, John's John's a techie by heart. I'm sure John will be picking up on lots of these things and asking lots of questions. So, um, not techie by heart, are you, John? You are a techie, aren't you? I, am, and I, I will be. I will be grilling actually, really, on sort of fine, fine detail about your microservice uh, strategy. Kidding, by the way, I'm not, I won't. But you know, ultimately, it'd be really exciting to find out about your plans and why you've chosen to do those things. Really, so. sure. I, I mean, if effectively, we we are a. A smaller competitor versus some of the big guys. So you, your listeners might have heard of, of companies like RS Components, Farnell, who are who are the big guys in the in the UK. We, we're not actually active in the UK market, but but even in Europe, that's that's our main kind of competition. Um, and there, there are others as well, uh, companies like Mauser DigiKey, who who are work at a much bigger scale than us and have much more resources um, in terms of how to develop their, their digital proposition. We're pretty good. We've actually, the, the, the small lean team that we do have does an amazing job at, at actually keeping up with that competition. But we, you know, in terms of the strategy, we, we've identified that, that we need to really improve our digital proposition to, you know, to, to meet the needs of our customers and, and those, those needs and expectations just increase every day. Um, so effectively, we've got a couple of development teams at the moment um, and we're moving to invest significantly in, in product development and UX to actually take, take ownership of what we do and make sure that we're working on the right stuff that is driven by product managers and you know, not the opinion of a, of a CEO or, or, or me or somebody senior who, who just, you know, historically it's been a little bit this is your priorities and this is what you'll do. Uh, so we, we really want to, you know, go to, to get that autonomy in the team and, and actually get people who are experts in deciding what, what the customers want and developing the right stuff. That's, that's one significant change we want to make. And the second is, is, is making sure that we've got the development resource to do that. So that the, the way that we're doing that is, is moving to a, a sort of more domain level squads, call them what you will, um, that are focused around, you know, an area of functionality or, or, or proposition. Um, so we're scaling up in terms of, of development resource and engineering, but, but also in, in products UX. Um, we're also addressing, you know, in terms of the tech and making sure that, that, you know, we are moving to microservices as much as we can. We're a big SAP customer. Um, so today we have a, a, a big monolith 
Um, but we're looking at how we, you know, we modernize that actually moving to more microservices-ish as much as we can with SAP, um, a proper front end, making sure that the, the, you know, the site is as performant as it can be. Um, so yeah, a, a big sort of transition agenda and a, and a, and a lot of investment. Um, and that's, that's the plan, but yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll let Will maybe talk a little bit more about the detail as well on, on product management. Yeah, so we're certainly moving towards that that domain structure, the Spotify model. Uh, some of your listeners may have heard of it um, referred to. So we're we're moving into four squads that are focusing really on the core experience for the customer in terms of sort of marketing and personalization. We sell a quarter of a million products, and customers uh, we need to help customers find the right product. If we know about them, we know who they are and what they're buying. We can personalize that experience. Um, and make that much more unique to them. Um, search and navigation is another area uh, we're looking at. Search is the absolute killer app for the website. Our customers are very busy. They have to find the product they're looking for and quickly. And these are, to a lay, a lay person like me, I mean, I'm, I'm a bit of an electronics geek, but you look at some of our products side by side and you would struggle to see that they are different. But if you put the wrong component in a, in a piece of machinery, it's the wrong wattage. Um, the wrong resistance, you know, it, it's not going to work and it could end spectacularly badly for the customer. Product information and merchandising is the third area that we're focusing on. Um, again, we need to get all that data, all that technical data. It's really interesting with a UX hat on. You look at the amount of product information we give our customers and you look at that and you think that's cognitive overload. It's far too much information. But our customers really need and value all that technical data and all that detail. It's really counterintuitive to what you would expect in a lot of businesses. And then the final is, is the, the core commerce um, side of things, which is, is simply making our checkout more efficient, um, you know, the registration process simpler, um, all the things that anybody working in any e-commerce operation would constantly be optimizing and, and improving. So uh, you have a question then. So is it a traditional um, digital space? You know, the B2B, I guess, manufacturing or you know that you're in are you like an early mover in this or you know you mentioned some of your competitors there how hot on your on their tails are you or are you on them I, th- I think we're we're catching up as ben said you know rs components um you know if you if you go onto the e-consultancy website and you know search for their case studies they started this journey about five years ago and they are undoubtedly far ahead of us they've been operating in this domain-based model um, for a long time um, you know I, I always think that kind of being second mover third mover actually allows you to learn from from what they've done and also differentiate yourself from from what they've done um, you know we're we're looking to as our chief exec calls it fix the core when we've done UX research with our customers they're, they're not looking for a fantastically slick experience. They're not looking for all the bells and whistles. They want to find the product. They want to know it's in stock. They want to feel confident they're going to get it the next day. And they want us to deliver on that promise. What they actually want us to deliver is, it's, I mean, it's massively complicated, but it's, it's a very simple proposition that they, they want from us. Um, so, you know, that's, that's good that we, we, can, we can look at what other people are doing. We can look at what the market's done and then hopefully differentiate ourselves in, in some ways and then offer some unique services that nobody else does. 
Yeah, I think makes a lot of sense not being the first mover. You know, you said there might be five years ahead of you, but it's not going to take you five years to catch up, right? You can cut out all that learning that they might have had to iterate on. You go, well, actually, we'll just jump to the solution here and overtake. And hopefully you're, you know, you, you sound like you're still small enough that you can pivot and iterate quickly where someone like RS, there might be a bit more bureaucracy involved i don't know the organization but i've definitely heard of them and i'm sure they're big players and things you know probably takes longer for a, a ship that size to turn around but i want to bring back to the um the domain driven design you talked about and the sort of spotify model uh, and just wondering if you i mean i know exactly the there's like i think there's two videos that they published and a, and a blog or two blogs that went with it around the whole squads thing the whole thing went viral everyone was like this is amazing I've heard lots of organizations adopting it and successfully, to the best of my knowledge. But I've also heard as people coming out of Spotify going, that's not what actually happens. That was more of a, a pilot, an idea. Any concerns about that? Or, you know, is it, are you, are you just planning to adapt it enough anyway that it won't matter? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, when we, when we, when we, kind of discussed this initially, you know, some, some people in our development side and our engineering side were, a bit worried about moving to this model there are obvious downsides for a developer thinking oh my life i'm going to spend the rest of my career at distrolec just optimizing the credit card uh, input window um you know and we've we've already said we don't intend to do that we intend to move people around and cycle them around we need that institutional knowledge and we need them to keep being challenged and and, and have new ideas but i think you know throughout my time at, at distrolec we've put up a you know a straw man this this is how we're going to work it this is this is the structure we have and how we think the process is going to work and then it's evolved we are you know definitely an agile team and and, and believe in that and you know we modify the processes as we go along and this is um, our starter for 10 really we've had consultants in and they're fairly confident that this will work for us and they've helped us you know shape our new process but we we all know that this will evolve and change over the, the next few months and years, um, you know, as it meets reality, um, it's, it's, you know, any plan is only as good as, you know, until it hits, it leaves the paper and it hits, hits reality and it's actually being used and then we will evolve it. So I'm, I'm pretty confident we won't be, if we came back and had a, another talk in, you know, a year's time, I suspect that the structure would be very different. It will be what works, what works for us and what's best for us as a business and for the people who work for us. Yeah, I mean, the whole point of agility is to iterate on uh, on feedback. So you're not going to make a book and say, this is our playbook, get used to it. It's like, this is our starting point, which is what I think what you're saying. And yeah, makes total sense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah it's, I, it's and amazing. I think it's, you know, it's the, it's, it's the best way to try and start to scale the way that we want to um, and to, you know, move that autonomy into smaller teams that can move quicker. Um, but it'll be absolutely something we iterate um, in in everything that we do really nicely. I pick up on something you've just said then, which was autonomy. Um, how does autonomy scale? Because that is um, that is a tricky question, isn't it? Like you you want to have this uh, organizational view of where you're going, the big picture, but you want to give teams the autonomy to make decisions locally. Have you figured that out? <laughs> I think that's. I think. I think that's something we still need to figure out. Obviously, the product managers, um, 
in our new structure will have the autonomy to look after their area and, and make decisions. Um, there's some oversight from our leadership team, our C-suites on that, um, as you would expect. Um, and, and it is going to be a challenge. We've, we've moved from an organisation that was, was pretty top-down led. Um, you know, there, there was a lot of sort of hippo, highest paid person's opinion going on in a lot of those discussions. Um, you know, it, it's, it's as much a cultural shift as a process shift. And, and, you know, I think that will take some time for people to be 100% comfortable with that and, and to, to build up the confidence in the product managers that they're making the right decisions and they can give them that, that level of autonomy and, and leave them to guide their area uh, of functional development and, and deliver something that delivers for the business and for our customers. So super exciting time for, for the Shrek. Um, you know, you, 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 you're making this change. You've been given the opportunities by your new owners to do what you want to do. And uh, we've, we've spoke to quite a few clients that have moved into this sort of model microservices and the squads and the agile side of things. You know, John and I have seen quite a few businesses do that you know, very successfully, as John alluded to earlier on there. Um, how are you going to do it with regards to, to working from home? Because obviously you're going for a big change at the moment. Everyone working from home, are we moving back to the office? You know, obviously these, it's really interesting that Ben brings it up about Manchester having the talent. You know, we know there's a big squeeze on talent in Manchester at the moment as well. And, and I think what COVID's done is, has thrown this real curveball at us in regards to remote working and so on and so on. So how are we sort of going to do that? Are we going to be coming back into the office or are we going to be working flexibly? You know, and, and how is that going to impact when you're going on this journey when in, in, and you've got a dearth of time, you tend to bring people through as well? Because you're almost teaching them along the lines as well, aren't you, a lot of the time, even with your current staff, never mind any new people coming through. I mean, I, I think it's going to be a mix. So clearly there are benefits. And the reason that we chose to move three separate offices and, and try and build one hub in Manchester was to get people to collaborate. And I think, you know, you can, and our teams are working really well remotely. I mean, we, we have, we have a supporting team um, in India um, where we, where we have some resource, we have some, uh, a nearshore partner in Croatia. My IT team is, is co-located across Europe. Not everyone is in Manchester and I myself am based in, in Stockholm. So, we're all we are co-located and we're already work, used to working remotely but that said I think there is a benefit to having people collaborating in, in 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 a central location because that's where you get to overhear stuff you know hear what's going on in another team which you don't unless you're invited to that team's call or that zoom call you, you don't get to hear that and and I think you you it's 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 hard not to become a bit siloed um so i you know for me i think the future will be a blend um you know we're, we're looking at how we utilize the office and when we're able to bring people back um but still have we've we've always been you know a proponent of flexible working we have core hours that people can you know work in and around um, so, I, you know, from my perspective, I think it, it, it's going to be make use of the office, bring people together to collaborate where it makes sense. Um, you know, and we've got a fantastic office and we've got fantastic space to do that. But 
also, you know, be, you know, it's clear that we can function with people working remotely too. So that I think there's, it's going to be a, a blend basically. I think that the concerns I've heard about the remote working or the blended approach are that how, how do you ensure that the people who aren't in the office either ever or on those specific days aren't missing out on that, those side conversations that we value so much? Have you got any tips or thoughts on that? I think that's something we need to look at as a business. I think that the, the, the interesting thing for me with lockdown and everybody working from home is that actually for a lot of our remote teams, it's been a great leveler. Um, because we've, you know, you will have all experienced being the one person on the telephone call where everyone else is in the room and you can't hear properly, you can't see the screen, you're actually detached from, from the conversation. And we've had to um, adapt. We've already been using tools like uh, Slack for asynchronous communications, obviously with the time difference to India. But, you know, we're using Miro now, Miro, however you pronounce it, um, for sort of shared whiteboarding and collaboration. And so actually making sure we've got the tools in place, you're probably upgrading the AV in our meeting rooms so that if somebody is um, working remotely and obviously for our teams in India and uh, Croatia, that that's always going to be the case, that they really feel part of that communication and they really feel part of that, um, part, part, of, part of the team still. And I think, you know, the, the tools like Slack and that asynchronous conversation, you know, we're, we're still as a team having conversations about uh, dogs and cats and pets and all the kind of water cooler conversation that goes on. We have a Slack channel specifically for the dogs of Distrelec. Um, you know, that, that, that kind of conversation and, and that team bonding is still happening on these digital channels. And I think, again, it's important that we make sure those are still there um, when we go back to that blended approach and there's, there's still an opportunity for that for that kind of thing and people to still um, actually bond as, as, as humans um, and work colleagues. Um, yeah, looking, looking at that, that um, building the relationship as much as actually understanding what's going on in the business around them and the collaboration. Yeah, and it's interesting. I think we're hearing the same themes whenever we speak to anybody. I mean, you guys have got a fantastic office where you are as well. You know, it's great that, you know, you're still going to keep that office or, or you know, on whatever format that is, but the fact that you're going to have that blended approach because we've spoken to others as well. And, you know, I think it's, it, I mean, what we've tended to hear, John, haven't we, that is that with IT or with tech, people can very easily work from home. It's something that you can do very easily. However, um, one of our guests, I think it was Howard Sims from Apadme, uh, brought up the fact that whilst everyone can do that, what's a real shame and what's something that he really missed is the fact that the bonds that are built when people are working together in an office, the fact that people go out for a drink together, the fact that people get to know each other in a far more in-depth way. So the fact that you're using that Slack channel to do the dog thing is really good, but it's still good that you're going to be going back. Because, I mean, I've seen it within our office, you know, my guys are, are out, well, they're out a little bit too much, if, if you ask me. <laughs> but do you know something? It's fantastic. It's, they're all going out together. There's some really, really good bonds together. I mean, you know, they're all working from home today, and yet most of them are meeting in town to watch the football match together. You know, and these are, these are people that have just been brought together, some of them quite recently. So I do think it's really good that you keep that presence as well as having the flexibility um, because I just think that's probably where we're at. 
John, I think you were going to. Yeah. Uh, so I, we've been talking about, we've, we've covered this topic a few times and we do get some really interesting feedback and something that, so I've been, I've been of the mind like, well, post all of this uh, new world, whatever, um, I'll probably, you know, go back to the office one day a week or something. I don't know, but I'm generally going to be working from home a lot more than I did. Uh, and I was talking to a colleague about this and he goes, well, people have short memories and the stuff that they'll 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 go back to the office and they'll start remembering the things that they liked about the office because it's been more than a year for some people they'll start remembering them they'll want them and they'll want them every day they won't want them like two days a week they'll want them four days a week so i'm just wondering if you have if you projected into the future to see well what happens if we you know let's say we decide to scale the team um but we don't scale the office because we don't think we need to get any bigger uh, but everyone wants to come in four days a week, like, have, or, you know, and, and back to maybe your point, Will, you were saying about the pre pandemic, when people were working, there was that, that one person who was remote and everyone else was in the office and they were left out and it was all leveled. Now, how do we, you know, it, th that person won't want to feel left out in the future. So they're going to be like, I, I want to, I want back in. So do we think that's going to happen? Do you think that's a likelihood? Yeah. I mean, I, I I think we will. I mean, we we've always tried prior to the to the pandemic to have some discipline around how we kind of manage people in a meeting room versus people versus remote. And and I think that there will need to be a lot more of that to make sure that you know, as Will said, that we've got the right level of tech where we've got cameras in meeting rooms that you know follow who's talking. Um, and, and I think that we can address some of that with 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 some of the sort of technology, but also discipline in in how we work with with people that aren't in the room. Um, I mean, we're we're fortunate in that we've got a bit more size in our office, so we've got a bit more room for for some more people. But I, I think it's we've kind of we haven't got a crystal ball, and it's it's going to be a, a bit of a journey that we go on really to get to that that end state for the, for the new normal. Um, yeah, just to iterate on it, I guess it comes back to that agility point. Like it's all very well, it's all very well having a grand plan, but you don't know how it's going to pan out. So you have to, to some extent, wait and see. I mean, you need to be prepared for, for worst cases and best cases, but at the same time, find out what people want, see how they feel about coming back, get their feedback, iterate on that. Yeah, sounds like a plan. Uh, I know it's going to be like sort of working progress. John mentioned you iterate over time and stuff like that. But how long do you think it will take you to get the new sort of structure in place and the microservices? You're moving more towards that and and everything that you're trying to do at the moment. What's your sort of initial? You're looking to do that within the next twelve months. Is it going to be a really really exciting but intense twelve months. I know it will continually move on, but is it going to be like, right, okay, next 12 months, Dishlock is going to be a super exciting place to work because we're going to be learning loads of stuff, et cetera. Yeah, I mean, we've got a pretty aggressive timeline. We, we're looking, well, we've kind of going to this new team set up with a critical mass um, on the 1st of July. Um, so that's when we'll have all the teams stood up, albeit not with everybody that we want to hire and recruit, but um, with, with kind of people that we've moved internally and some, um, some contractor resource, et cetera. But we, I think, we, we, well, I know as of 1st of July, we've got enough people now that we have recruited um, to have the critical mass to, to start. Um, okay. On the tech, we, we've got a plan 
um, to be ready, you know, in our new infrastructure and, and the new setup to help us deliver that as of January next year. Um, and, our, and our plan, and it's, it's aggressive, um, is to have sort of all of the teams recruited in the next three months. Um, so that's our plan. It's ambitious, um, especially with, you know, how hot the Manchester market is at the moment. Um, but we've, we've done it before and Distrelect's a great place to work. That's, that's why I think is in our favor. Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's our plan to sort of have everything stood up and, and, and then obviously iterate those processes so that quarter four, which is set, um, October, November, December for us is that we've got those teams in place there. They are at least, you know, they've jumped in and we're living all of the new processes, albeit you know, sort of at the start that we then start to iterate. So by start of next year, the, you know, the plan is that it's a, it's a well-oiled machine and we actually look to scale even further um, and build more teams. Um, but yeah, that's, that's the ambition. And I asked then a bit of a question around the microservice stuff because I'm a bit geeky yeah. like that. So are you uh, planning to then extract, you know, the core functionality out of your monolith and, um you know move you know carefully surgically move it out and build a uh, build the services that way or is it more of a gradual replatforming sort of it's, or, yeah, a loop for old it's a it's a gradual replatform so if effectively we, we run we run sap hybris today and we're, we're it's quite customized so historically it hasn't quite done what we need it to so we've picked a database here and we've done some funky stuff there and it, but it, it you know and it is the traditional big hybrid monolith where you know we want to make a change it's really easy and suddenly it's you know it's a month of pre-work in our erp to before we can touch something in the back end in java before then a front-end guy can finally make the change and um, what we're doing we're, we're moving we're hosted on 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 um, sap commerce so that, that we're on sort of managed managed infrastructure um uh, albeit quite customized. So we're, we're moving to the, the new all singing, all dancing V2, which is based on Azure. So it's, it's hyperscaling. The infrastructure is, is Microsoft. And I mean, that brings benefits. SAP make great products, but they don't manage infrastructure particularly well. So it, it, it's built on Azure. It's a, it's a lot more standard. Our architecture in hybris also needs to be more standardized, which is what the, the technical teams are doing for the next six months to to kind of unpick all of that customization. So we're a bit more vanilla hybris. What that then allows us is to adopt something called Spartacus, which is SAP's microservices. Um, so it's it's not full, full microservice, but it does break down that monolith and it will allow the teams to stop tripping over themselves. And, you know, I like the, 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 the notion of, of, a, of a snow sort of plow that just gets clogged up, you know, and, and, um, it, and it'll, it'll break that down so that the teams can work independently and, and, and within, you know, that domain areas not, not be tripping over themselves. But so our, our migration to V2, if all goes to plan, is, is around December time. And then we will roll out, you know, Spartacus sort of page by page. So it's not a huge massive shift it'll be something that evolves um probably first half next year um and then you know the the, the plan is that the, the teams will be all all set up we'll be running spartacus we'll have that you know that that microservices architecture as much as we can with hybris 
um, and and then look to see you know how do we complement it with with you know further tools on top of of Hybris itself. Oh, great, seems seems like a smart way to do it. I mean, a, a re-platforming is ambitious, and doing it gradually is it's got to be got to be the smart the smart move. Are you are you either introducing or uh, do you already have like strong technical practices in place around either pair programming, test-driven development, mobbing, any of the sort of extreme programming practices that, you know, are fairly popular now and probably quite attractive to candidates if you're hiring? Yeah. So, I mean, we're, we're on a journey there as well. So traditionally we've been a little bit sausage factory for want of a better phrase, but you know, it's been stuff's just been thrown over the fence to the, to the technical teams and, and they get on with it, you know, and it, it, it's all, it's all fed through and sit there and deliver code. Um, with, with the new domain structure that we're talking about, we've, we've got this new role of a product manager who's got that autonomy for what we do. But in, in terms of the, the, the dev team that they're part of, we're also making a, a new role that we're calling a tech lead that is involved earlier in the process when we're talking about what we're, we're going to do. So they've got a voice. So they can actually say, you know, at the start when we're, when we're in a discovery session, don't do that. You know, I know better. Technically, we should be doing this. And so that they're, they're you know, they've got that voice earlier in the process that they, they, they can be heard and they can help influence what we do. Um, so that's, that's, a, that's a change that we're making to, to kind of bring the tech involved earlier in, in, in what we decide what we do. And on a, on a process kind of perspective, also looking at how we, you know, get a bit more future thinking and a bit more modernized in, in, in the way that we work. And I think the other big opportunity that, that where we've made massive strides in the last, you know, couple of years is, is automation on the testing side. So we're, we're, we're really, you know, I, I'm so proud of what we do in, in terms of automation. It's been a massive sea change. We used to be, you know, two years ago, it was all manual testing. Today, you know, we've got 90% coverage um, automated. And that's, that's, I think, in terms of how we scale, that's going to be a big part of the strategy of how do we accept a bit more risk and, and, and look to be, you know, more dependent on, on automation and not have, you know, say goodbye to a little bit of the, the safety blanket of, of the, the extent of, of manual testing. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you've said that because, uh, you know, I, I love to hear I love to hear people saying that they've got good test coverage. It's, it's kind of my bugbear when people don't. And also, you know, I've been in organizations where they said, we want to move to the microservices. How do we do it? And I was saying, well, what's your test coverage like? They're like, oh, we, we, we don't really have any. Said, well, fix that first and then come back like in two years, like and two years is... Yeah. You know that's good going. Like that's a lot of work. So yeah. so so well done. Um, brilliant here. Zach, did you want to come in? Yeah, I was just going to say we have got a couple of minutes left. So you know, uh, I was going to ask, is any more techie techie information that you want to know, John? But um, you know, it, 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 if not, you know, before we finish off, will Ben anything else that you'd say about why Distrolek is a really great place to work? I mean, it sounds super exciting at the moment. I mean, I know because we work with you. You know, it is a super exciting time. You know, we've worked with you for several years now as well. And it is a, probably as exciting as it's ever been when we've been working with you, you know, what you guys are doing now. Is there anything else that we can sort of add for any of our listeners that are maybe interested in coming to work for you? Yeah, I think a lot of what Ben's been describing is kind of the 
the, the seed change in the way we do things and the way we're actually going to be able to develop things when we get to that Spartacus microservice um, sort of infrastructure. I mean, Ben alluded to it earlier that at the moment I can have a UX uh, designer or one of our sales team come and say something really, really simple that, um, you know, let, let's put the delivery date when we're going to get stock back in of a product that's currently out of stock on the web shop. And it's like, well, obviously that makes perfect sense. And then you start looking at the fact that we need to update um, various data interfaces and overnight product data feeds and, and you start adding up the weeks and something as simple as that currently, you know, is going to take sort of eight weeks to actually get it developed, get it tested and get it out there. By next year, we will be in a position where we should be able to actually have an idea, discuss it with people in the office and see it on the site within a couple of weeks. You know, the the speed at which we're going to be able to do things is 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 a complete sea change from where we are at the moment. Um, and I think anybody that's working for an organization that's kind of in the position we are at the moment, where you are sat behind this monolith and struggling to actually affect change, we are very soon because of this investment going to be in a position where we can actually see that change speed of change increase quite dramatically um and that along with the autonomy of the new teams and being able to be involved in technical solutions and actually shaping that future i think is is a really exciting um a really exciting thing and i think the other the, the other bit which keeps me at, at distract and i know it's the same thing for ben as well is the team and it is the people we are a really tight-knit team despite being spread over you know half the globe we the, the, the company itself is is a very not uh, what's the word non-hierarchical you know there are only four four levels of, of, of management from the the lowest graded person in the business to the chief exec you know you can you can get to anybody and talk to anybody which again for organizations I've worked in in the past is very different yeah and I- I, I think I, I just would would absolutely second all of that. Uh, it, it's 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 a fantastic team, and it's a really exciting time that we've you know got the go ahead to build it even further and kind of address all the feedback I've had in the last few years from from you know from the techies who want to do things differently. We're doing it from product management, you know, and taking that autonomy. We're doing it. Um, and, and it, you know, it is a fantastic team. It, it, we've built it over the last few years. And, and I think we've got an amazing team spirit. Um, it, it's a great group of people. And I'm, you know, really excited to sort of build it, build it further with, with more like-minded people and, and just take it further. It seems like we're kind of on the, on the cusp of, you know, of doing some great stuff. Um, and it, yeah, it's a really exciting time. That's brilliant. That's brilliant. Listen, guys, thank you so much for your time, for, for making the time to speak to the Northwest Five podcast. It's a, it's a great success story for Manchester. The fact that you guys came here as well, what you're doing as well, massive international brand. It's, it, you know, and as you say, you know, you're on the cusp of something really exciting. So fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. John, I'll let you uh, wrap up for us. Yeah, just again to say thank you very much for coming on and thank you for listening. If you have any questions you'd like to ask, anyone you'd like to put forward to be on Northwestify or you yourself are interested in being on Northwestify, then please get in touch with us uh, either through uh, our LinkedIn page or directly to myself or Zach on LinkedIn or through the Como website. Thank you very much. Thank you.